0: Welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. In the last episode, we spoke to Big Brother Watch about the dangers of government surveillance. This week, we speak to two SOAS students from Egypt about online spaces and overcoming government censorship. Hossam Fazala is a researcher and writer from Cairo. He has spent the last seven years bridging the gap between art and human rights as Director of Freedom of Artistic Creation at the Association for Freedom of Thought and Expression, AFTE, and as a former trainer at Cairo Institute for Human Rights Studies. Fazala's work for focuses on cultural policies and the contemporary Egyptian cultural scene. Fazala has authored several publications including Why You Can't Be Creative in Egypt in 2017, Cultural Policies, Foundation, Evolution and Problems in 2015 and he has co-authored Censor of Creativity in 2013. Salma Kamis is a researcher and writer from Cairo whose interests lie somewhere in between journalism and academia. She conducted research on Muslim-Christian relations and religious diversity in Egypt and currently works at one of the country's leading independent news outlets Mada Masser. These days Salma's research interests are more focused on the studies of contemporary Egyptian cultural products. She examines representations of Egyptian identity constructions across various art forms with a marked emphasis on revolutionary culture. Hi Hossam, hi. hi Salma, hi, <laughs> thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you for having us.
0: So let's start by having you tell us about your work in Egypt and the focus of your organisations. Let's start with you, Salma.
2: I work for an independent news organisation. It's called Mada As an organisation, they've existed since 2013. And they really place a huge emphasis on promoting independent, progressive journalism in Egypt, which, as I'm sure we'll come to talk about, is becoming a rarer and rarer commodity in the country. We publish in, uh, in Arabic and in English. It started initially in English, but then the Arabic side kind of grew and actually has started to sort of take over, not take over, but like in terms of popularity, become more prominent than the English side, just because of obviously local capacity to understand. And the English side tends to be more marketed towards journalists and academics and researchers abroad. And we cover politics, we cover society, we cover culture in the country. So that's just in terms of daily news production. But also through my work, it's provided a really interesting lens into seeing how themes like internet surveillance and government regulation and interacting with the public sphere through this kind of medium has really changed over the past few years.
1: And Hassan, why don't you tell us about your work? So the Association for Freedom of Food and Expression, so I worked there for like six years. It started in 2008. Ahmed Mubarak found it. He's a great man, contributed a lot to the movement. The focus of the organization is mainly freedom of expression, which is very vital in Egypt because you see the government has almost controlled all the means of expression and also forming opinion just to create this product of obedient citizen to just like follow all the policy of the government so what we're working on we're working on media, uh, academic freedoms, we're working on artistic creation, uh, freedom in the university we're also rewriting the history after the revolution because uh, you have the narrative of the government which is, uh, you, you can say that it's not really true, so we're we're recalling all the events that happened after 2011. I myself, my focus is artistic creation and media freedom. I redesigned the program in 2014. I'm focused on cultural policies in Egypt because it's been neglected for 60 years or something.
0: Okay, do you want to tell us about a specific or particular project that you've worked on and the impact that it has in your realm of culture and policy?
1: So aside from the publications, my favorite of them is, is cultural policies policies in Egypt. That one, I mean, when I was working on it, I really hoped that I would be contacted by the government and they would be like, ah, you know what, we, we, we read your paper and we we're thinking of implementing it. That did not happen. <laughs> 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 but what happened is that now it's being uh, taught in Cairo uh, University for Masters of Cultural Devel- Development, because the one, the, the convener of this course was my was my mentor. Also, uh, so in Egypt, we have this law, all the, um, the artistic syndicates they monopolized the work in art. So yeah. according to the law of the artistic syndicate, if you are, let's say in the tube and you're singing a song and you don't have a permit from the syndicate, you can get arrested. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't happen, but uh, hypothetically it can happen. But what happens is that you can't be an actor, you can't sing, you can't express yourself unless you have a permit from the three syndicates. And then for some special work, like if you're shooting in the street, you have to have a permit from the police. So what we did is that we filed the lawsuit against the syndicates and yeah we got it we got it suspended this this article that says that the syndicate like if you if you're not a member of the syndicate uh, you have to pay fees or or not do the work and you have to have a permit from them and they have to accept what kind of work that you're doing we have suspended it that was a success it's, it's still not over yet because they are still looking into like its credibility and
0: yeah. and Selma would you like to talk about maybe a particular story or project that you've worked on and its impact?
2: Measuring impact in, in the work that I do is, is very different. Yeah. Uh, there are there have definitely been a few memorable stories that I've mm. been a part of working. I mean, I'm on more of the editorial side, mm-hmm. so, but just to speak in terms of the work that the organization in general is doing, really, one of the biggest kind of efforts uh, was a really thorough report on uh, something called remand detention or preventative detention or pretrial detention, depending on the terminology you use, which we released around May or April. And this was prepared by uh, one of the reporters in the organization. And it took months and months and months of research basically to show that. So in the Egyptian law, you are allowed, as in a lot of legislatures across the world, you're allowed to keep people in detention for a set amount of time before while investigations are ongoing into the crime that the prosecution is charging them with. But this time period varies from country to country, also depending on the severity of the charges. Mm -hmm. But basically what this report through extensive kind of qualitative research and interview Views. And what it showed was that the government was essentially using this tactic of keeping people in jail f- pretty much indefinitely with no justification under the pretense of uh, investigations are ongoing, and to the point even where in a lot of cases this is this is illegal. Even even in the constitution, the maximum amount of time that you can oh, sorry not in the constitution, but in the penal code, the maximum amount of time you can keep someone in that kind of detention is two years. So that was one of the reports that was really interesting to work on. Like like you noted in the bio, I'm really interested in this intersection between journalism and academia yeah. and that for me was something really fulfilling to be a part of is combining this this kind of really rigorous research but also presenting it in a way that's digestible for an audience accessing this kind of report yeah. online but again I don't want to take any of the credit away from like the the reporters that worked on this and the researchers I'm mainly more of like an editorial side but that just to speak of something kind of quote-unquote cool that I got to do in my time there that that's something that definitely comes to mind uh, other than that I mean it's uh, anything that intersects with also my interest in cultural productions in Egypt has been really interesting. So getting to be just a part of that discourse that's going on in Egypt that's kind of difficult to mediate these days has been really interesting.
0: So, Hassam, you spoke about the challenges of cultural production because of government censorship in Egypt. And Musama, when you were speaking about producing that report for people to view online, especially a report that actually indicts the government in a way, I was wondering what are the challenges that were faced with doing that when you have this level of censorship and this level of control of the media. What are the challenges faced?
2: What are not the challenges <laughs> faced? I can talk a little bit about yeah. this. I mean, so there's there's different kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. There's challenges in terms of reception, in terms of even if you take away the kind of legislative side and the, and the legal implications for the kind of work that we're doing, mm-hmm. just in terms of the social reception of it, I'm sure also Hassan can speak to this, um, there is definitely a, a lot of social stigma against indicting the government, like mm-hmm. you said. In the recent years there's been a really huge push on behalf of the government to kind of get everybody on board with its policies. With We don't really have time for dissent. We don't really have time for criticism. We're getting out of this crisis. Anyone who's doing anything that's that's not in line with, with our party line is is just seeking to destroy society and the government and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's, in terms of reception, in terms of just like on a day-to-day basis, like how people respond to the kind of work yeah. that you're doing, that's a challenge. There's obviously, of course, the, the legal challenge. Yeah. I mean, the website that I work for is... Currently banned in Egypt. You cannot access it. If you go to www.medalemaster.com you, you won't be able to open it on an Egyptian IP uh, ISP, sorry. So, in terms of ways to get around that, I mean, we've used proxy sites, we've used mirror sites, we've used AMP and then they blocked AMP. Like, it's just this like cat and mouse game um, between us and the government to try to keep our content live and online for yeah. people in Egypt who do not have access to a VPN because a lot of VPN services are also banned. So, that's, that's one aspect, like the technical aspect of mm-hmm. ensuring people have access to the content that we publish yeah. and then there's also I mean a basic safety level for the reporters and the researchers engaged with this kind of work yeah. I mean honestly I've been lucky in my position because the kind of work that I do is very much behind the scenes yeah. but someone who decides to have their name and the, the byline of a story like that is really putting themselves on the line yeah. and a lot of people choose to use pseudonyms which is of course their own decision and they're very well free to do that yeah. but others don't out of a moral yeah. idea out of a principled kind of position whatever but the, those are the people who are really putting themselves out on the line because they have something out there publicly Published that is fully expressive of their political opinion that is against the government, which is an extremely dangerous thing to do. I mean, even sharing Facebook posts and Twitter posts these days is, is a dangerous thing to do, depending on what yeah. they are. So, yeah. So like I said, I mean, there are layers of challenge. Do you want to speak on
1: that? Yeah, I can speak for hours. But, I mean, let's not. <laughs> but yeah, so like Selma said, there's like a lot of kinds of challenges. First, you have the legal challenges. And I think the government has been working on on this plan since 2003 and and it's like a yeah, so it's a very like thorough plan to change the whole legal framework that, that governs the whole country from freedom of expression perspective so in 2013 they started with the uh, demonstration law so basically what happened in 2011 people demonstrated so let's 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 issue this law demonstration law basically prohibits more than three people I guess to to gather if it's not in, in a coffee shop or something this this law as well affects everything because now now if you have an event that is in the street, if you have like a concert in the street, you have to have demonstration permit. So since that old uh, street art uh, disappeared, basically, and, and then you had the graffiti from the other side, they kept on hunting the graffiti artists that if you got sashed and you have a spray on you spray can you get arrested and two two people got killed and then graffiti disappeared as well, which was like um, they, they used to call it the TV of the revolution. And then of course all the walls got painted. Uh, on, I mean, which is normal for graffiti, but not by the government. So that's, that's the demonstration law afterwards they, they issued the NGO law. I mean, they tried to, they tried many times, but now it's, it's fully out, which basically puts any NGO under the government's agenda. So before you work on any project, you have to get the acceptance on it and also your stuff, everything, everything, all the activities, every money that is going to your organization has to be agreed on by the government. and then there was the media low. Basically that low co- coincided with the blocking of 500 something website. And that happened on the course of like seven months. And they were blocked based on what? Uh, basically based on <laughs> what the government is not, if you're saying the alternative voice, if you are voicing what the government doesn't want, want to be voiced, you're blocked. So you have this and then you have the other organizations that the government can control. So if the government can cannot control you, if you're independent, you're blocked, basically. Right. So yeah, 500 websites got blocked and then they, they issued a cyber crime law. And the cyber crime law is basically has nothing to do with cyber crime. It's just a way to implement a mass surveillance on, on the internet. And even if you have like a Facebook account now, you're watched if, if you have more than 5,000 followers. But this is not the issue. What's most important about this law is that every service provider like, uh, like Vodafone or like anything that provides Provides you with internet they have to keep your metadata uh, for three months and then if the government asks for it anytime they they give them your metadata which is basically can monitor anything that you're doing on the internet so basically whatever you're doing on the internet is watched they also prevented they, they blocked all the means to get around it like using vpn using Tor project they blocked all these websites but i mean there's always ways to also work around it. the ngo law also coincided with uh, this lawsuit that had i first had like 70 something NGO and a lot of NGOs closed of course the NGOs that were working like on human rights and not the NGOs that were working on on like uh, smaller projects like social projects no it was the the NGOs that, uh, that was working on something that can be seen as like dangerous or or against the government if you're basically criticizing the government you're closed so all the NGOs shut down we're basically talking about seven that are active now only two of them that are really active and
0: across the country
1: across the country and we're talking about a country of a hundred million person uh there's also the monopolization of all the like the they re-owned all the channels through former intelligent offices so basically all the channels now on tv that, that are private are owned by some people that were in the intelligence and they were work, they are working directly under lcc's management so if you just turn on the tv you'll find one voice literally one script that Everybody's saying it's it's funny.
2: Salma, I can see you wanted to add something there. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, this this trajectory of blocking, you were asking the, the kind of websites that were that were blocked and what they were blocked for. I think it's also important to recognize this as part of the part of an, a narrative that started, like Hosam said, like in 2013. Yeah. Like this isn't I mean, the websites were effectively blocked last year. But in fact, I mean, the day that the military took over from the Muslim Brotherhood, they essentially stopped broadcasting all the Muslim Brotherhood TV channels instantly. That was is like a very abrupt statement of anyone who's saying anything that's not with the party line is not going to be allowed to say it flat out. That's it in there. And you have to be OK with it because this is in the interest of stability, national progress. Uh, there's a common motif that they always use, which is the wheel the wheel of production. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what does that mean? <laughs> basically, yeah, like... Nobody knows, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like a metaphor that's used by... in like state-sponsored uh, rhetoric, which is like, you can't... you should not stop the wheel of production, which basically means like any kind of social disobedience or public demonstration or or social critique or whatever is an impediment to the country getting back on its feet.
1: So basically after the revolution a lot of people people's business got harmed. I mean it's, it's normal after the revolution people lose money. So th- that that's like a number of people, right? So when they say the wheel of production they are aiming towards those people they are scaring them like ah you know what you lost money you don't want to lose more money. Exactly but Basically works. everybody's losing money because the economic system is, is going down
2: <laughs> So yeah So there was a Kind of like a gap Between when That first instance Happened in 2013 And then in 2017 When, when these all, all these Websites started Being blocked um, And by blocked Basically what that means Is you cannot Access them Like I said From an Egyptian Internet service provider But there's always a way And that's what They fail to recognize And that's what's So abundantly obvious When you look at This internet legislation That they simply These legislatures In parliament Simply do not understand How the internet works Because they think That you can just cap The access of information, but yeah. Yeah. but as as I mean, as an example, the one I'm most familiar with. But as Mada's case proves, there's there's always a way around it. And to this day, you can still access Mother inside of Egypt because we've used all these various yeah. alternatives. But basically, the criteria was first they started with some uh, select number of news organizations yeah. and uh, organizations that were known to be sympathetic to the Muslim Brotherhood, but not necessarily. Yeah. So like even Mother was, which is not at all yeah. affiliated with that. But they were among the first group of people, and then it expanded to human rights uh, NGOs, and then it Expanded and then there was kind of a lag. But then, for example, Human Rights Watch came out with a report that talked about torture in Egyptian prisons. The day the report came out, you cannot access Human Rights Watch inside of Egypt. Yeah, like it was uh, just yeah. kind of like you know that's one thing. And the other thing that Hassan was talking about in terms of the the fact that telecommunications companies are now obliged to provide the data to uh, the government. Uh, what's interesting to in in that case also is there was a dispute between Uber and the Egyptian government also that has to do with that because the government basically told them that in order for you to continue to be able to operate. Legally in the country You yeah. must be able To provide to, to store the metadata For customers' journeys uh, Where they're going When they're going uh, Etc For three months And be able to provide it To us in any case And Uber obviously Disputed this for a while Because this Why, why on earth Would the government Want to know Who's going where Unless it's for Malicious purposes yeah. So that was an Interesting case I mean eventually they Uber promised them Enough investment Whereby this issue Kind of Yeah it yeah. fell off The kind of Public consciousness But uh, that was also An ongoing debate Which just goes to show That it's not only a about knowing what people are reading or who people are talking to, but also how internet surveillance has come to impact actually the government's awareness of where you are literally and Mm. and being able to find you in that way and where you're going.
1: Yeah, because if you are saying something that they don't want, want, they they need to know where you are, right? (laughs) To like have a decent conversation with you. Conversation. (laughs) So
0: you talk about consciousness Mm -hmm. and just awareness of these issues. How aware is the average Egyptian Citizen of what's going on. So
2: I struggle a little bit with this category of the average Egyptian citizen because it's much more difficult to pin down. So well, I have
0: let's to say someone who's not wor- who's not working in yeah. So I have
2: to I have to recognize also that simply by virtue of living in a big city in like Cairo, you're already at an advantage. Exactly. Um, and you already have a bias compared to I mean the majority of the country is not is not urban in the way that Cairo is. So it's very easy when you're when you're working in an organization like Madan and and your social life is also surrounded by that it's kind of like the SOAS thing that you have here where you just tend to assume that everybody's on the same page as you which is obviously not the case on a personal level for example a lot of the people that I know in terms of family in terms of people who are not very much involved with the circle they do not understand why someone would work the job that I do Mm -hmm. and for the organization that I do they're very much influenced by propaganda essentially let's call it for what it is the propaganda that's that's, that's being spewed by the government and all the media outlets that uh, any kind of social kind of expression of social dissent or critique or whatever is basically an expression of an enmity towards the government or it's a foreign conspiracy <laughs> it's, one, it's either that or the other so I think in terms of if we're talking about media laws cyber crime laws laws that impact the government's access to data and its surveillance or whatever I do not think that there is wide scale knowledge about this at all outside of the circles that are interested in it whether it impacts their work whether if they work in media or, or whether they're researching it or whatever but however However, in terms of the other laws that, that Hosam was talking about the demonstration law the NGO law things that impact society on a larger scale I think there is relatively more information uh, about that and awareness about that also they've existed for longer and, and debates surrounding uh, surrounding them have existed for longer I mean the demonstration law has been almost like what five years old now the NGO law ha- caused a huge lawsuit like Hosam said and that's been in the newspapers for years but again we're also talking about a portion of the population that is still concerned with finding out about these issues and reading and reading on their updates and whatever. Unfortunately, my sense is that this this strand of the population is, is waning a little bit yeah. simply because of um, the impact of this discourse of we all have to get back on our feet and let's stop caring or let's stop being interested in issues of civil liberty and issues of, of kind of public discourse yeah. in the interest of promoting business, promoting economic growth, etc. Yeah. So that's the sense that I get. But like I said, depending on everybody's positionality within Egyptian society, they're going to give you a different an answer. I try to be aware of the fact that the bubble that I live in yeah. is not at all indicative of society at large, yeah. but even that in and of itself is, is also biased to a large degree. some what's your take on that?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I also want to get back to what Selma said about like there's there's always like, uh, or what I also mentioned that there's like always a way around like let's talk facts, uh, the, the government's policy is quite effective because when you block yeah. websites, yeah, there are some people who can access them, Yeah, but but the majority do not know how to use VPN, or if they know how to use it, they'll get lazy. And also, a lot of NGOs just shut down because they are scared of getting arrested. But if you also talk about the sense of awareness and in the Egyptian society, it's it's a bit tricky, because it's quite fascinating that people that are a product of a horrible education system since like 60s, nobody actually knows what culture is, or why is it important, you have the economic, yeah, we understand this. And then those people went down as streets and and had a revolution right so there is there is a sense of awareness that is always going on but also now if you speak about awareness you have to ask yourself what are the inputs for formulating an opinion you have the public sphere where people talk to each other which is uh, shrinking constantly and it's it's almost non-existing now you have the media that is completely controlled and and only repeating one voice you have the internet that is that is controlled as well Uh, i don't know but it just seems that the awareness will be lower and lower now, I think the majority are thinking that the government is not really working in their favour, I would say. But it's only because the economic system is horrible and people are started to almost starve. Everything is getting very expensive and taxes are getting higher. Yeah. So it's economics rather than culture. I would yeah. say, yes. Yeah.
0: So of those organisations, say news sites and NGOs, for example, how many of them are actually fighting to still keep their voices out there, have a vast majority? majority of them given up or given in
2: i think given up is a, a difficult term to use in this context when so much is on the line uh, in terms of continuing to do this work i don't know i feel like you were you were much
1: they did more- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean majority. majority Yeah, of course uh, Also, I mean uh, If you're talking about the, the left wing in Egypt Or the activism in Egypt Is mostly The human right movement You really don't have Like left activism Or like There's no organization For that And most of them Are in prison Almost Yeah And, and but it's that's, really that's, scary To be honest That's
2: what I mean In terms of um, You can't really call it Giving up Because there's been Such a narrowing Of the civil society space Where all of these people that were active, let's say, like six years ago. I would say one of the most active periods was between 2011 and 2012 yeah, for these like kinds of organizations. 13 as well. Yeah, but they've been squeezed out either by virtue of arrests, either by virtue of this NGO law that made their work basically illegal. Also, there have been other ways, other punitive measures in place by the government to, to basically discourage this kind of activity, which is if it chooses to investigate a certain NGO and, and the funding that they're getting, what they'll do is they'll seize the assets of the organization and its owners um, and also prevent them from traveling which occurred to a lot of people so essentially there's been you're just a sitting duck in the country which is which is the case of a lot of former leaders of, of big NGOs yeah. where you can't travel you can't yeah. leave the country um, you don't have access to your own assets your own personal funds um, you're not in jail but you also kind of basically are and that's what they do also especially that's the tactic that they do with people that have a international uh, reputation because it would cause too much of a stir for them to put them actively in jail yeah. Yeah. but at the same time they're basically um, debilitating their ability to do any kind of meaningful action. So that's why I personally don't like the term of giving up, because everybody goes into this kind of fight or this kind of struggle or this kind of context with different circumstances that also decide the extent to which they're willing to put their personal safety and the safety of their family at stake, which is really what we're talking about. Ultimately, I mean, it's easy to talk in terms of NGOs and in terms of organizations and structures, but we are talking about actual real people, um, many of whom whose lives have been completely uprooted and turned upside down a million times over as a result of these laws and these new circumstances like uh, Hossem said I mean there are a couple people, his his organization being one of them, that is kind of trying to fight it out to the very last second yeah. like we will not be silenced, we will not mediate our our work or our message to suit the interests of the government to, to do what the government wants yeah. us to do we're going to keep doing what we can until we absolutely can uh, and exhaust all the measures and whatever and I do think that to a certain extent I mean MADA isn't an NGO but it's still adopting somewhat of the Similar, of a similar policy and yes. uh, I think the two approaches differ in in, in a slight sense um, so in the new uh in the new media law that was passed just this year in order to, to be able to operate legally as an online news organization you have to apply for certain permits it's a very convoluted confusing yeah. process um, you have to show also evidence that you have a certain amount of capital it's purposely made mm-hmm. to discourage mm-hmm. people yeah. from pursuing it but w- what the organization decided was um, we're going to do this we're going to try to see and get a permit. Obviously, it's going to be extremely difficult and 99% <laughs> um, not going to happen. But just to be able to say that we, we're, 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 we're abiding by all the rules yeah. and, and at the same time not letting that affect the editorial line. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's an attempt. We'll see how it goes. We're yeah. still in the midst of the application process. The outcome is at best unclear. Yeah. <laughs> the one last thing I would note, though, is that those that have been able to continue have been also been able to continue as a result of a certain amount of privilege. You have some kind of leeway Way, you don't have so much at stake yeah. If that makes sense Which is also important to recognize And yeah. not to to kind of blame those Who have been basically forced Out of the civil yeah. society space but How
1: come you don't have too much on stake You have your lives on stake Basically, right?
2: Yes, but Yeah, um, I mean,
1: that's that's all you have, isn't it?
2: Yes, but I mean, also There is somewhat of a socioeconomic cushion That, that yeah. you fall back yeah. on yeah. Um, Not
1: really nobody, nobody's, nobody has like a backbone now I, I would say Really?
2: I mean, that's his perspective. I, I think that, m- that may be true, but you can't kind of divorce that from the circumstances. You can't blame people for, for No, I'm not, I'm to, not. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. To, I agree. Yeah, of course. Uh,
2: there is also this discussion going on in, in these kind of circles in Egypt now is because as a result of all these circumstances, a lot of people who've been able to leave the country have left. And let's be completely frank, we are, we are kind of sort of examples of this is the situation at home gets, gets to be so suffocating and so frustrating that you can't help but think of, of how much easier life would be Abroad Setting our case aside I mean a lot of other Active members of civil society Who were able to leave the country Left the country And there is this kind of blame Or there is this kind of sense Of like Oh you left us behind And of course On their behalf They feel guilty Because like You're all fighting the struggle Back home And I just left For a more comfortable life But I think I mean Everybody makes a decision Based on their own circumstances You can't really force someone <laughs> To to engage in, in, in the struggle Yeah you know? of course
1: Yeah definitely
2: So to round up I just want to Get your point of view
0: On what the future could hold Hold. Are there movements to go online and carry on these conversations? What's going on with online activism? Is there that space? Is there yeah. the dedication to maintaining that space given the difficulties with laws and regulations? What do you think? What does the future hold?
1: So about about the, the question, the previous question and this question, mm. Something that you have to keep um to keep in mind is that there's post-revolution depression. Basically, you had a revolution and it failed. Our generation is is mostly depressed and oppressed. In that sense, of course, you can't you can't blame anyone. I mean, and nothing seems really bright. But I mean, I don't know now after the new cyber cyber crime law. But before, when the government wasn't really focused on the internet, but all the streets are taken over, uh, or and the public sphere is shrinking, all the activism went to to the internet and then you had demonstrations basically demonstrations on the internet you had blogging days uh you had massive campaigns and very effective on the internet very smart as well there, there were some really creative ones yeah yeah so <laughs> uh, okay there's there's one that is really really nice it's my favorite it's amazing there's a kid toy the children toy that was in the, in the market it's two two balls and, and they were attached with the same rope and then what you do is that you swing them around and and have them in a in a momentum in a rhythm and I don't know it's just a kid game but the thing is that it looks like uh, testicles how do you say it in a oh, better it's like a way Oh, yeah. yeah, a pendulum. Yeah. Yeah, pendulum. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they called it Assisi's testicles for I don't know who did this but <laughs> but it's brilliant and then on the internet that toy got like it spread a lot because it's, it's very cheap and then uh, if you pass by a kid playing it you ask them and you shoot a video you ask them oh, what, what's the name of this toy and then the we like it's his testicles <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny and then the government prevented this toy and they said that it's, it's annoying and people are complaining something like that and they call it the pendulum they had the, it was like a headline and then you use ah a toy that is called the pendulum and <laughs> it's really big it's like it's not cool it's his yeah, testicles yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of other movements you had the, uh, these fake events they would have like a, a fake event like a marsh but it's fake and it's for a ridiculous reason and I think that this is like it's expressing how how you actually can't use the the public sphere, and it's it's really interesting. Can you do you have an example, Sandra?
2: You had the picture of Cece with Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, that also sent someone to prison.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it actually started being used on the internet after he got in prison right?
2: Yeah. By meme standards, it's it's not great quality. I mean, it's literally yeah, yeah. just Mickey Mouse ears pasted onto uh, the picture of a Cece's face, and it, he really wasn't that popular. It didn't circulate that much, but for some reason. And then there was surveillance on him, and he got arrested for it. And then after he got arrested for it, it really like went everywhere, like, so all over social media. What's interesting is it's not even like a scathing, like governmental critique. It's just a small poking fun at, at this kind of all-encompassing authoritarian figure that is the be-all be all and end-all of everything in Egypt. And that's that's what gets them the most. This kind of undercut, uh, underhand. I actually remembered
1: out. one one last thing. Uh, so after the internet surveillance and and uh, everybody being aware of it, uh, there was that hashtag. Uh, Leave El Sisi, mm-hmm. like, leave. And it's really funny because everybody knows that now the, they see what you're saying. So the ha- the hashtag went really viral by saying, ah, who are, like, you would go on the internet and you would write, who are those people who are saying, hashtag, leave El Sisi? So What's get it to wrong trend, with them?
2: But it's the same thing. So you time. get it
1: to trend. But but if you look, if, if everybody looks at you, you're literally, you're not saying leave El Sisi, you're saying you are criticizing it. So everybody was criticizing Which is it. It's
2: super subversive and super That's interesting. Sweet. I mean, they just will turn the whole which is which is why I mean if in terms of your question about a, a way forward like yes it's extremely bleak right now no one can deny that in terms of media law cyber crime law like I can go on and on and on about about all the restrictions but ultimately what I think is there is no stopping the momentum yeah, and yeah, power yeah, of yeah, the internet yeah. there just isn't we're no longer in the age where you can censor a newspaper and that's it you stop people's access to information
1: that's um, the that power of the revolution, isn't it when you're in the revolution and, and just you got you get this feeling that you can do whatever it's really hard to stop and when it's you, really com- to, when you combine anybody- with the,
2: with the instantaneous uh, kind of sort of pseudo-democratizing features of the internet. It's kind of like, you know, when you try to stop a leak by like blocking a hole and it keeps uh, sprouting water from the other side and you, there's just, the, the information's going to keep flowing regardless. And interestingly enough, and I think this is actually in one of the videos that I sent you as a, as a resource, basically this video is a number of people working at Meta talking about their experiences of how, what it's been like to work for an organization that's blocked. One of the things that they note is that it forces you to adapt to these circumstances and, is, and by virtue of that you become more creative and you become more subversive like the example that Hossein that, uh, that said the more boundaries there are the more interesting ways you find to get around them which yes okay it's a coping mechanism and yes hopefully we wouldn't have to do this for the rest of our lives but if this is the way that it has to be then we might as well make it fun and interesting <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it gets, it gets funnier and funnier uh, last comment. Thank you so much for this, for giving us a uh, voice.
2: Which is something we don't have back home. And
1: uh, let's, all, let's all be hopeful. And if any of the listeners are interested in in Egypt and the uh, political situation, the, please don't read the news. Don't read the news. Talk to someone. Talk to there. someone yeah. from there. Or read Madama's. They are cool. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I would say um, if you're at all interested in the situation of like access to data, freedom of information, freedom of expression, civil liberties, and intersections with the internet and all of that, really look up independent progressive news outlets. I mean, I sent you a few resources also for kind of coverage on these new laws. Uh, FT, the organization Association
1: for Freedom, Thought, and Expression, they are doing amazing they have reports. Really
2: interesting reports, uh, like w- w- more in depth, kind of comprehensive research on website blockings, on creative expression, yeah. all of these things and just read more and and support these organizations whatever way you can whatever way you can even if it's just sharing information about them on social media believe me they need it right now more than anything awesome guys thank you so much amazing insights
0: so discover more about this conversation by accessing the following resources available in the show notes on our website on the tumultuous legislative process towards drafting and passing egypt's new media law read egypt's new media laws rearranging legislative building blocks to maximize control On complications in attempting to comply with new media laws, read Confusion, Contradictions and Uncertainty. Implementation of new media law leaves news websites in the dark. For a guide to how Egypt's new cybercrime law affects various stakeholders, read How You Will Be Affected by the New Cybercrime Law. A guide. For some background on the current status of Mada's lawsuit against the government blocking access to its website, read Neither Victory Nor Defeat. Court refers Mada Massar blocking case for technical Review and watch a short video about MADA employees describing what it's like to work for a blocked website, blocked for 300 days. The Association for Freedom of Thought and Expression regularly publishes reports on their work. Some of the latest includes By Court Ruling, a reading in the YouTube block ruling. Also, read New Laws, the thick stick of the state to control the internet and isolation. You can also check out The Cutting of Communication during the January 2011 revolution. For more reports, such these, visit their website at www.afteegypt.org. Hossam's publications are available online. Access the links on our website. You can find us online at www.soascodingclub.com. Follow us on Facebook at Soas Coding Club and on Twitter at Soas Coding Club. We broadcast every two weeks, so tune in to discover what's to come in global digital futures. <laughs>